Hello and welcome to a brand new episode in a brand new season of the Tennis Fanlist Podcast. The 2021 season of tennis is underway as we speak in, uh, in, in Antalya. And I'm Marcus Ali. I'm going to be hosting today and joined by Michael Gillett, filled with excitement amongst a national lockdown. But this is, uh, you know, every cloud, eh? The tennis is back, mate. Yeah, we were just discussing uh, pre-pod how tennis coming back is something, it's something to focus on, something to fill your time with. And especially in this third lockdown, we'll all be looking for that. And I think it definitely brings back some normality even though the start of this year is a little bit different but uh, I, I'm very um, excited about it uh, it's the first time we've actually seen a uh, a new season in with us starting halfway through last season um, some new tournaments to talk about that we haven't spoken about on the pod before yeah it's nice to have a, a fresh slate just to, to kick off and um, you know we've got two excellent tournaments to be talking about too that we've definitely enjoyed in years gone by but before we go into these 250s and give you the preview and uh, everything you need to know about the, the field of players playing in, in Turkey and in America this week, we've got there's just a couple of news stories we wanted to talk about. Um, the first one that I'm going to bring up was sadly for a big percentage of the tennis world that seemed to be Roger Federer fanatics, um, mainly due to his incredible past successes. Um, he he said that um, he's going to extend his injury recovery time, his preparation time, and will not be playing in the Australian Open this year, which is going to start on February the 8th, so about a month or a bit less later than in the normal calendar that we've become accustomed to. Um, so, yeah, Federer taking his time. You just mentioned um, in our little pre-pod discussion that it's Dubai, the 500 tournament that he's aiming to um, come back for. What what's your thoughts about about his decision to to take more time? I mean, at his age, it's it's not a surprise. He knows his own body better than anyone. Um, but he has that big success at the Australian Open in the past. Oh yeah, I will just quickly say that Dubai thing that I'd said I think was just a speculation from David Law on the tennis podcast. So I don't know if that's like an official target for Federer. Um, I think it's very concerning news, to be honest, because, you know, he, he hasn't played in, it must be near to a year. Um, and, and you know, he's had, I think, three surgeries now on his knee. And if after three surgeries, a year not playing at his age, if he's still not fit, um, I think it is really concerning for him. You know, we, we, we talk a lot now about, you know, we're probably not going to see Federer challenging for the slams again, see him at the top level again. But I think when you get news like this, uh, after so long out and, and so much surgery, you, I personally start to wonder, are we, are we ever really going to see Federer? Um, play, I'm sure we'll see him playing again, but um, I, it's going to be really hard for him to come back. And there's, there's surely got to be some really, really major fitness concerns in there. I mean, this is a guy with immaculate fitness normally. I, I don't know if you'd seen this uh, pre-pod, but this is the first Australian Open in 22 years that he wouldn't have played. He's played every single Australian Open uh, consistently for 22 years. And that's an amazing stat, considering, you know, you would have thought for one of those 22 years, he would have been injured. Um, so, so, yeah, I think I think it's very concerning news uh, for Federer. But hopefully uh, he just wants to put his priorities on, on Wimbledon 
Uh, and because I, I can't imagine if he's missing the Australian, I can't really imagine you're going to see him come back for the clay court season. Um, so hopefully, you know, he's, he's just focusing on grass and he sees that as his only real chance now of, of doing some success, especially after that brilliant Wimbledon 2019. Yeah, I mean, obviously that is an incredible stat, yeah, but it's not one that catches me by surprise. He really has been a freak of nature over the years, going into his late 30s and still managing to compete in the top three players in the world. And it's not like it's been a top three in the ATP Tour ranking that's just been sort of cobbled together last minute um, with players getting runs into that bracket. It has been these generational, I mean, people in the conversation for the GOAT, top Grand Slam winning players in, in Nadal and Djokovic that he's been competing with and even beating at times. So, yeah, that is, that is, that is a shocking stat and it is a shame that we're not going to see him at the Australian Open. The, the clay court season, that is a big question mark, really. He has, even in a normal year when he's been pretty injury-free, he's been taking the clay court season off. Um, so whether he'll come back for that or not, I'm not sure the nature of a knee injury. I'm not sure whether that bodes too well with going fully committed on the clay courts, all that sliding around. I mean, I'm not a physiotherapist but that can't sound too good for someone who's had a lot of surgery on on the um on their knee joint just one comparison I wanted to bring up is Andy Murray I mean Federer will probably be offended by getting compared to Andy Murray with just the three grand slams but he's, he is a player who has had a very long time out with injury and even when he's come back he hasn't hit the same heights he did win a title um in in Antwerp um in 2019 but he has not hit those heights and it's been a real struggle for him, obviously, having the, that major hip surgery. I was just wondering what your thoughts would be. Say Roger Federer comes in and throws in a couple of poor performances, like when we saw Andy Murray get battered by Stan Wawrinka at the French Open or just lose to a player outside the top 50. Do you think Federer would just think, right, I've had it now, let's quit while I'm ahead, let's keep my integrity that let's keep the legacy and people remembering me as a mercurial just one of the greatest players of all time rather than potentially seeing this form that we've seen Andy Murray and it has been hard to watch at times I like that Murray's carrying on because it proves his love for the sport more than anything but do you think Federer would have that fight when he's already achieved so much um I think it's a very good question um, and I, I don't really have a, a straight answer, to be honest. I think, you know, if he comes back and we do sort of see him losing consistently to players, as you say, outside the, the top 100 um, or, or at least top 50, um, yeah, I think it's, it's very possible that, that he might just call it a day. You know, he hasn't got that much longer left in him. So, you know, do, do people really want to see Federer going for, for sort of a year-long period um, where when he, when he can't win anything? But then I, I do remember, I can't remember what year it was. Um, I'm thinking probably 2014, 2015. There was, there was definitely a period where I remember Federer went on a really bad run uh, of losses and people were talking back then, you know, is this the, the end of, of Federer's... Uh, legacy and, and, and brilliant form and he, he still comes back uh, he, I think he's won about two or three Grand Slam titles since then, a um, couple at the Aussie and one at Wimbledon since then So I think so um, yeah, I, it's a tough question um, my guess is that if 
that was the case and he did come back and he was just losing but my guess is he probably would just just call it a day but he would certainly uh want to play Wimbledon again before he retires I would think the Australian Open um I'm not 100% sure if he cares as much for the other two um but but yeah I I think I, I think it's very possible yeah Yeah. So moving on to the action on the court that's happening this week. And the first tournament that we're going to look into has actually just got underway this morning as we record. And Nikolos Bazilashvili has just stormed through into the second round with a very unconvincing win over the 33-year-old Italian Andrea Arnaboldi. Um, so as we always did uh, last season, we're just going to shout out our, our quarterfinals and then go from there. Uh, so whether we've got any any shock predictions in the in the draw this week, and then eventually who we've got going on to win the title, it's not the the most quality star studded draws. I mean, you don't often see that at a two fifty level, but there definitely is plenty of interesting young players to talk about. Which of course, me and Michael love chatting about who we think is going to be the sort of uh, next generation of title winners after the big three or the big two subside. Um, so just to rattle off my uh, four quarterfinals for Antalya, at the top of the draw, I've got top seed Matteo Berrettini to win the two matches required to make the last eight. And I've got him to face Alexander Bublik of Kazakhstan. And then the second one, I've got Fabio Fonini versus Jean Leonard Struff. Fonini obviously having a, a poor, well, showing some poor form, struggling really after lockdown last year towards the back end of, of the 2020 season. But I think you know, he's such a flamboyant player. He's, he's good on his day. I think he's definitely got enough to, to make it to at least the quarterfinal. I think I do have him to the semi as well. Um, then in the third quarterfinal, I've got Kak Pazuk, the young Polish player, to um, make the quarterfinal, win two matches. He's got a Turkish wild card in the first round. It's like Kek Bilek or something along those lines. And then... He's going to play, if he wins that match, he'll play Nikolas Bazilashvili in the second round. And I've got him to meet Alex D. Menor, the in, um, well precocious Australian talent in, in, in that quarterfinal. Definitely one of the favourites for me this tournament. And then in that bottom quarterfinal, I've got Miamir Kecmanovic of Serbia versus David Goffan. You got any differences? You got any strong opinions about my selections? Uh, we've got very similar draws, to be honest. Uh, I'll go through mine. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised you've gone for Kakpazuk uh, to get to the quarterfinal, seeming as uh, you told me yesterday, uh, like me, we, we both have never heard of him. Um, but then again, perhaps a little kind part of the door, draw with uh, Basilashvili really struggling at the moment um, to find form. And losing that first set just now to Arna Baldi is is not something... Uh, he'd be too proud of, I don't think. As uh, so my quarterfinals, uh, yeah, I've got Berrettini and Bublik in the top one. I think that was the same as you. For my second quarterfinal, uh, I've actually put Radu Albot against Jan Leonard Struff. Uh, I feel Albot, for me, has the advantage over Fanini. Uh, Albot won his only title uh, actually at Delray Beach. So the other tournament that's happening uh, this week, he won that in 2019, beating Dan Evans in the final. So um, 
you know he's got he's got two fifty form uh, in in the past, and um, I think Fanini for me just didn't really show me enough towards the end of last year. Um, the next quarter final, I've got Basilashvi against Dimonur, and then I think the same as you in the last quarter final, Kekmanovic against uh, the number two seed. David Goffin. Uh, so yeah, and then I'll just go on to say that uh, I've got Alex Diemener to, to get to the final to beat Alexander Bublik in the final, the uh, young eighth seed. Uh, I, I, I think you're the same, Marcus. Yeah, that's correct. I've also gone for Alex Diemener to beat Alexander Bublik in the final. He really stood out for me. I think David Goffin's probably another high-profile player in the draw, but I think he's a player that we, we've spoke about in the past that his ranking is so high, mainly because of his consistency, consistent level of performance rather than those outstanding displays and putting it together in the closing exchanges of tournaments. So Diminor really stood out as, as, as the main, main favourite in this draw for me. Just on Fonini and the Albot difference, um, maybe one of the reasons why I went for Fonini is because I think Radu Albert, who I do have to beat Jeremy Shardy in the first round, which is a tricky encounter for him, to be fair, um, is because Albot tailed off similarly to um, Fonini at the back end of last year for me. Obviously, um, you mentioned he won that Delray Beach title and did make it into the, the world's top 50 comfortably, actually, in, in uh, 2019. He's now 85, and there were some uncharacteristic defeats, so not, none that I can rem- name off the top of my head, but that I remember seeing at the... Um, towards the back end of last season, which of course happened for for a lot of players, and um, yeah, with it just being a new slate, you know, there's no real form to go on with it being the first tournament of the season. I just went on raw talent, I'd have to say probably. Um, yeah, Fonini better on the clay surfaces, but yeah, I think he's got enough. Hopefully, on these hard courts in Antalya. So that rounds off our predictions for um, for that tournament. If you want to. Join in the fun and chance your arm against us. Um, Michael's changed the group name to the Tennis Fanalist Podcast, or without the just Tennis Fanalist Podcast, on tennisdrawchallenge.com. Yeah, we've been playing this for quite a few years now. It's really good fun. Um, Yeah, every single 250, 500, Masters 1000 Grand Slam tournament is on there. So, yeah, if you'd like to join in the fun, we'd be happy to have you. Um, Yeah, tennisdrawchallenge.com. But without further ado, let's move on to Delray Beach. Definitely a, a tournament that I've watched more of in the past than Antalya, I have to say. Um, Riley Opelka won it last year, I'm pretty sure. Um, and yeah, an intriguing draw. You've got Christian Garin as, as the number one seed, obviously a clay court specialist, you'd have to say. But um, I do have him to make the quarterfinal. Um, so my first quarterfinal at the top of that draw. I've got Christian Garin versus forgotten man Ryan Harrison. Um, I think he's got quite a kind first-round draw playing Gianluca Maggier, who's more of a clay court player for me, the Italian. Um, and then, yeah, I've got him to beat, I think, Sam Querrey in the second round to make it into the last eight. Sam Querrey, a player who's struggled with injury over the last year or so. It doesn't surprise me with the style of, the style of play, the amount of physicality in the action, and particularly that serve. So, yeah, I've gone for Ryan Harrison. I've got him, him to meet Christian Garin in the first quarter final. Then one down, I've got Hubert Herkash of Poland. Definitely a, a much fancied player for this tournament. I checked yesterday and he was favourites with the bookies to win, win the tournament. 
I've got him to meet Noah Rubin, the American wild card in the quarterfinal. I just felt, yeah, yeah, quite a kind um, part of the draw. I think I can't remember who he plays in his first round match, but I think he he would go on to play either um, Pablo Andahar or Ivo Karlovic in the second round, the big serving over 40 years old Croatian. So I, yeah, couldn't really find an argument to say that Noah Rubin wouldn't get past those two matches, even though he is, I'm pretty sure, comfortably outside the top 100. Uh, then the third quarterfinal, I've got Francis Tiafo versus Britain's Cameron Norrie. Could be a good match, that one. If that one does, um, does materialise, I would definitely like to tune in and watch that one. Tiafo always entertaining, and um, Norrie's got some good grit and uh, good determination about him when he's on form. And then in the bottom quarterfinal, I've got an All-American affair of Tommy Paul versus John Isner. Um, yeah, just thought Tommy, Tommy Paul, uh, I've got him to take out the interesting young player, Sebastian Corda, in the tournament, who I, was, I saw on Twitter, um, another tennis podcast was tipping Sebastian Corda to win this tournament. Um, and he definitely is an interesting young player that we could see have a little run and um, get into that next-gen conversation in the next few weeks if he can put some wins together. So, yeah, that, that concludes my quarterfinals. What have you gone for? Uh, yeah, again, relatively similar, to be honest. Um, the top quarterfinal, I have got Garen to make the quarterfinal, but I've actually got um, Mackenzie McDonald's. Uh, to meet him in that quarterfinal. And I've actually got uh, McDonald to beat Garen, so I've got a bit of a risk uh, going with Mackenzie McDonald to make the semi-final. Uh, my second quarterfinal is also Herkash against Rubin. Um, and then Tiafo against Nori. Uh, I, I know Tiafo is a player that you're very fond of. Uh, and I'm going to predict uh, that you've got Tiafo to go on and win it. Uh, I have as well. Uh, I've gone with TFO to go on and win it in the last quarterfinal. I've also got Tommy Paul and John Isner. Tommy Paul had uh, a fantastic uh, 2020 uh, for, for what there was of it. Um, I thought he looked really good. I've actually got him to beat John Isner uh, in the quarterfinal. So I've taken quite a few punts on this one. Um, but yeah, I've got, looking forward in the draw, I've got Francis TFO to beat Hubert Herkask in the final. I like that. This one's this one's far more open um, in the competition between ourselves than uh, Antalya. I've actually got Hubert Herkash to beat Tommy Paul in the final. Um, so, yeah, I've got, I think I had Tiafo to beat Norrie. And then, yeah, I've got Tommy Paul to beat him and make his way to the final. Not a player I've seen a lot of, a lot of but he's had some solid results. Um, and he's definitely a player that's... Um, developing gradually and climbing those rankings gradually. I think he's probably on the verge on the verge of the top fifty now. Um, and yeah, John Isner, maybe a, a little unreliable. Um, depends what Isner shows up, and he's going to be turning thirty six this year as well if he hasn't already. So um, yeah, even though it's a second seed, not Isner for me. And Christian Garin, top seed, mainly due to his clay court form, you have to say. Um, can't really rely on him on a hard court. So I think I've got him to the semi-final. But no, Hubert Herkash is definitely the one to watch for me. He's already got one tour title, one in Winston-Salem in 2019. I believe that's another American tournament. So he's already had success um, over there. Hopefully he can channel that and uh, 
yeah, win the tournament so I can uh, get a little edge over you in the early blows of, of this season on TennisDrawChallenge.com. Um, so that concludes our little preview on, on Delray Beach and Antalya. Delray Beach, definitely the more, more open and differing in, in opinions between me and Michael. And I'd have to say, arguably, the, the better field of players. Um, both tournaments will be good. You, you've got Antalya starting more. Well, I'm not sure what um, time zone you're in, but we've got Antalya starting really early in the morning. And then you've got that we've got Delray Beach starting sort of later afternoon, evening. So you can have a whole day of watching tennis if you really want to. Um, if anyone's, yeah, struggling during lockdown or just yeah, just looking for to fill some time, any activity, um, yeah, make sure you make sure you tune in. Um, we're both buzzing. It's back. And just to uh, move on, Michael's done me a guess the player as always. Yep, you certainly can watch tennis all day long at the moment and what better way to fill your lockdown if you're looking for things to do. Yep, the return of uh, Guest the Player, the uh, the tennis fanalist regular feature uh, that we've done so much of now. Uh, we'll soon be running out of players, but uh, I think we have a little list of the ones that we've done. I think we're up to about 36 now, so... Uh, We've still got, still got a good number that we can still go through. So, uh, my first clue. Uh, as always, we start off nice and vague. If you haven't listened to the pod before, it's five clues, uh, one at a time, uh, about a player. And Marcus guesses it. Uh, it's guess the player. It says it in the title. Uh, so, the first clue, um, I am the second highest ranked player for my country. I like that. It's a little less vague than um, just the typical saying their age. Maybe I've been a bit rusty from guest of player absentees. We haven't done this for about a month, just over a month. Um, so, right, second best player for your nation. I'll go, I'll go for an obscurer one just because, I don't know, I mean, I find it harder to guess the, the, the players of the... Um, stronger tennis nations like France or America with so many players. So let's go to South America. Maybe the second best Chilean player is Nicholas Hari. <laughs> I like the. I mean, he probably is. Yep, um, it is not Nicholas Hari. I believe uh, Hari coming back soon from a. Doping ban or possibly match fixing? Is it doping? Yeah, doping, I think. Uh, he doping. came back in a challenger right at the end of last season. Um, I think he lost his first match, to be honest. Um, but no, yeah, maybe a player, if he can regather that form that we've seen. I think he's won an ATP Tour title. So, um, yeah, we could see him break into the top 100 again this year. Uh, so, no, not Nicholas Hari. Um <laughs> Quite funny, this one. Uh, you, you said uh, the the first clue wasn't as vague as normal with the age, but unfortunately, my second clue is I am 30 years old. 30? 30. 30 years old. Okay. Yeah, still not giving away a lot. Um, let me think. So you've got... 
if Alex de Menor's the Australian number one, John Millman can potentially be number two, although we've already had him in guest of player, I think, so I'm not going to go down that route. And Kyrgios might even be higher than him in the rankings anyway. Um, 30-year-old, country's number two. Um, Thirty-year-old. <laughs> it's hard to think of the players that are like that middle-age. You, it's easy to think of the older ones and the younger ones. Um, right. Probably going to think of a more obscure nation again. Um, maybe a European one. Who's in Europe? It's not great at tennis. Portugal. I think their best two players are both a Sosa. So I think Joao Sosa is probably the Portuguese number one. So Portuguese number two might be Pedro Sosa. He might be 30. He's outside the top 100, but yeah, we're going with Pedro Sosa. I, I like you're you're working out you're you're working out good good tennis knowledge, uh, but he's not Pedro Sosa. But definitely applaud that effort. Uh, clue number three, a bit more details uh, and help in here. I have won eight career titles dating back to 2011 in ha- San Jose. So that's the first of eight titles came in San Jose 2011. Right, that's a big clue then. Um, well, compared to the first two anyway. Um, I, I don't remember, I can't recall San Jose 2011 off the top of my head, sadly. Eight, Why not? <laughs> um, eight career titles is pretty impressive. And he's 30, but he's his nation's number two. So I'm going to start to think that it's a pretty good nation um, if he's won that many titles before 30. So I think he's probably fairly high-ranked player. Um, so the big nations, you've got Argentina, you'd have Diego Schwartzman. Then maybe Guido Payer or no, um, don't think Payer's won eight titles. Uh, the bigger ones, and you got France. Um, so you have Gael Monfils being number one, I think, and then I'm not sure who the number two. Uh, I'm just gonna have to go for quite a random guess again. I'll just think of a player that's probably won eight titles. Um, Thirty-year-old. Hmm. Starting in 2011, so that is con- some considerable longevity if they're still mixing it in the top 100, top 50. I never said they were. I know, I know. Hmm. Um, Fabio Fonini's probably a little older than top 30, um, than 30, but he might have a similar amount of titles and he is the Italian number two. Unless Sinner's overtaken him already, I don't think he has. Uh, so yeah, let's go Fabio Fonini. You go Fanini. Um, Fanini, he's got to be nearer to forty than thirty. I don't know. I mean, it's it's not Fognini. Uh, Fognini is oh, 33. I thought it was older than that. Fair enough. Uh, no, not Fanini. Um, question. Uh, sorry, clue number four. Uh, you could get it from this one. 
I am a former Grand Slam finalist. Right then. Now we've got something to work with. But finalist technically means uh, you could probably say someone who won one was a finalist. So maybe you leave me still a little bit to cling on to there. Right, former Grand Slam finalist, eight titles, currently nation's number two. Oh, Kevin Anderson would fit brilliantly into this, but he's older than 30. Because I'm pretty yeah, sure, a little bit older than yeah, I'm pretty sure Lloyd Harris is the South African number one, and you've got Anderson at two. Um, then obviously he's made two Grand Slam finals. It's not him. Grand Slam finalist. Who's made them in the last few years? Chilich, but he's also a champion, and he could be the nation's number two if uh, Chorich has overtaken him. Wouldn't surprise me. I think he probably is the Croatian number one now. Um, Songa won't be the France number two and he's older than 30 who's made slam finals in recent years damn it <laughs> uh, Favrenka's his nation's number two he's older than 30 again Grand Slam finals. Milos Raonic? Could be. Shapovalov's probably higher than him. And he's a finalist because he lost to Murray at Wimbledon. Might be around 30 now. That's going to make me feel old because I remember him playing as a teenager. Um, yeah, that's the best I've got to go off now. So it'd have to be Milos Raonic. Well worked out. That's correct. Um, it really surprised me that he was 30. Uh, I, I guess, as you say, thinking about it, it makes sense. But to me, he still feels like he's sort of mid, at least late twenties. Um, so I thought that that is the second clue. Thirty years old would, might throw you off a little bit. Uh, the fifth clue um, was uh, going to be: I was born in Montenegro, but I compete for a North American country. Uh, I think that probably uh, would have got it because although you know Shapovalov. Uh, could maybe go into that. I, I don't think it's Montenegro that he was born in, but he also definitely isn't 30. Uh, and uh, yeah, he wouldn't have eight career titles yet and hasn't made a Grand Slam final. So yeah. Um, so yeah, that's guest player, uh, Milos Reinic, uh, who I think won Comeback Player of the Year last year, even though he only actually rose... I think he, I think he won Comeback Player of the Year, even though he only actually rose about twenty places in the ranking. I'm not sure. Um, he was definitely nominated for it. Um, yeah, had a, a decent issue. I think ranked about seventeenth in the world now. Yeah, I like I like that one. I think it was a good guest to play. I think it's always enjoyable when it's a not obvious player, but a, a well-known player, and you you just sort of disguise it in the. It includes that you've got to sort of piece the puzzle together. It does take a lot more brain brain power than just sort of waiting for the fourth or fifth clue and then it being a bit more obvious. Um, so, no, yeah, that was a good one. Um, I don't know how I feel about him being 30. I think, obviously, he's been around for such a long time, but being 30 isn't necessarily ridiculously old in, in tennis terms. So, hopefully, we, he's had his injury ups and downs, but hopefully we do have 
another four or five years maybe of solid Milos Raonic if he can pick his tournaments and uh, and, and manage his body well then um, he could probably stay in the top sort of 40, 50 for the next three years, four years at least. And um, yeah, hopefully share his experiences of arguably not quite reaching his potential, but also making that Grand Slam final and uh, be a good influence on the two young Canadians that we're extremely excited about in Denis Shapovalov and Felix Auger Aliassime. Um, any other closing notes to this episode, Michael? As, uh, yes. I have a closing note that your little punt on the world number 262, Kak Per is looking a bit meek. Uh, he's a set down to the world number 309. How's that an opening day match on the ATP tour? Uh, he's a set down. So, yeah, not that, you know, once you listen to the pod, if you're bothered, you you want to go and look at the result of that match. But, uh so maybe a small advantage my way in, in Antalya, but very early days. Yeah, definitely not wise to rely on Nikolos Basilashvili of late, but um, yeah, it might work out in the end. Um, so yeah, that concludes this episode, the first episode of the brand new tennis season of the Tennis Fanlist podcast. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, thanks for joining us. Um, enjoy the tennis. Um, we're back on Twitter, thankfully. Um, I'm pretty sure our DMs are open. I just wanted to put on record that if anyone anyone wants to talk tennis or is, you know, a little bored, um, feeling a bit down during lockdown, yeah, you can just, our DMs are open if ever you want to chat. Um, so, yeah, thanks for listening. Um, thanks for thanks for joining me as always, Michael. No, thank you very much. Um, just message to everyone. Thank you for listening uh, and, and stay safe, especially at these times. Kind words, knowledgeable words, and um, excellent contribution as always from Mr. Michael Gillett. Um, we'll be back just towards the end of these tournaments, so I think that'll be early next week. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, just as Michael said, stay safe, enjoy the tennis, and we'll catch up later. <laughs>